You already know what time it is. Welcome back in to the NFL with AJL, episode 63. We're live on a Friday. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here tapped in with me on the show. Hope everyone's had a great week as February is officially upon us. February 2nd, first weekend of the month. Go make it great, but don't do it before you tap into episode 63 of the show. Again, thank you, everybody. Before we get going tonight, y'all, please make sure to like and share the stream wherever you may be watching. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit the bell as well. As always, you guys have been crushing it, and the college football content has really been speaking to you guys lately, so we got a treat on tap for y'all tonight. As always, the QR code there in the corner of the screen will give you every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL. Hashtag the NFL with, with AJL on all social media and pod platforms. If you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough. We got a college football special on hand tonight. As y'all know, I am a diehard Georgia fan. I've got a diehard FSU fan coming on the show. But before we bring him in, we're chopping up college football eligibility, the godforsaken committee. They're finally going to 12 teams. We're going to talk plenty about that. The transfer portal and some of the best activity and some bowl game opt-outs. Told y'all I had a guest on the show tonight. Longtime brother, cousin, family, of course, bringing him in. He is the diehard FSU fan to debate tonight. Alan Spradlin, welcome to the show, bro. Good to have you in. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's been a long time coming. It has been. It has been. You've been sticking with me and supporting the what off season, petty sports days, and now we're on the NFL with AJL. For everyone that's been keeping up with me from the beginning, uh, Kenneth Spradlin was my first ever guest on the show. Pimpin' Ken, as he would call into petty sports. This is basically Ken Spradlin 2.0. Like I said, my brother, Alex Spradlin. We're about to go ahead and jump into the shows. We got a packed one for you guys tonight. Like I said, he's the diehard FSU fan, and maybe he hasn't forgot about the committee. Y'all know I'm the uh, maybe toxic, obsessive Georgia fan. But let's jump into it, man, right off the top, as we're going to be getting into some college football eligibility. And before I read some of the rules off to kind of refresh people of what the eligibility really is, do you think it's simple? too complex for these student athletes and are there possibly any rules you would uh you would change on this topic man me personally man i do feel it's a tad complex and one thing i would really change is uh the amateurism requirements it's we're in a new era of college football really i mean the nil is here to stay i don't see it going anywhere and right they're talking about oh don't you know get the hundred dollar handshake anymore don't get the uh backdoor deal you know that sort of thing it's like yeah ah, you know that time's coming past you know we're in a new age yeah yeah there's um you know with you, you with you saying that that's funny about the whole hundred dollar handshake or the backdoor deal because we've had those conversations before before possibly about these Alabama players pulling up in challengers or these Georgia players possibly living in really nice places. And, and it mm -hmm. kind of made you wonder, but no, I, I totally agree with you there. It, um, NIL is here to stay. We're going to talk about that in a later show that we're going to do, hoping to do a recurring segment with Alan here on the show. But in terms of the eligibility, it's pretty, you know, simple and straightforward. We hear a lot of talk about it, right? But just to refresh some people, you know, you got to have your common course requirements. It's pretty similar to high school. You got to have your GPA up as well. In terms of amateurism, kind of like Alan was saying there, the NIL came in and kind of basically wiped the slate clean of that because if you were to get disqualified, 
Burmy amateurism. It's if you were signing contracts, if you were getting prize money, you know, working for products or services to receive money for that, um, you know, making money use of the athletic ability or fame, or even saying that you're going to go compete in organized sports as well. So they want you to stay true to what you're actually coming to college to do, which which totally makes sense. You got to have your English, your math, you know, all of your core classes. Of course, you got to graduate. If you're D1, it's got to be a 2.3 GP high, a GPA or higher. D2, a 2.2, and I believe a D, uh, D3 is 2.1, but all colleges want you to have at least that 2.0 GPA. I, I would say, though, for the most part, I think it's pretty simple. I wouldn't really change any rules because the whole thing of you becoming eligible to be a student athlete, at the, at the end of the day, your initial grant into that college was, yes, for your athletic ability, but they want you to be able to carry out academically as well, and that's why we saw the knock on Stetson Bennett going to Georgia for six years and not getting his degree. We see Jalen Hurts getting two degrees at the age of 24, while, of course, also being in the NFL, him graduating from the University of Oklahoma. But for people out there that have heard about tight end Cam McCormick, we're going to chop up his situation here on the show. He is going and actually has achieved a ninth year, a record year of eligibility. He was tied previously before with another player for eight years. I know y'all are going to rip me in the comments for not knowing that gentleman's name, but tight end Cam McCormick has now had a nine uh, record, nine seasons of eligibility. 2016, he was a red shirt. 2017, he was a red shirt freshman. 18 and 19, uh, he had a season ending injury, missed the season. Of course, 2020 was the COVID year. Season ending injury again in 2021. In 2022, he was in his official senior year. And then 23 and 24, he petitioned and got that extra year of eligibility. Alan, what are your thoughts, man, on a guy that's 25 years old, born in 1998, so realistically younger than us, but not by too much, still playing in college football? How do you feel about a nine-year guy in the NCAA right now? Man, I tell you this. If it didn't, if it hasn't happened yet, and regardless of injury and COVID year, um, I don't, I just don't know if it's going to happen for you, brother. Because, listen, by now you should have been, you know, in the pros by now, um, right. CFL, XFL, something, uh, or right. pursuing whatever you got your degree in, um, like a real profession outside of football, um, with all these injuries, you know, uh, right. and the obviously stayed from that i feel like they're really out now because you know covid year moving forward it, i think six years is reasonable mm-hmm. you know I, I i just don't see you needing any more years to prove yourself to get into the nfl uh, especially right. if you're playing at a big name school like cam mccormick did he played at miami as well as now is oregon he's getting his ninth year of eligibility there in which dan landing is an awesome coach and he's going to develop him um and who knows he may get in the nfl um and i hope for his sake he does you know right um him being a miami player formerly or not you know fsu bias doesn't really get in the way there too much yeah <laughs> so you say right so no, i say I'm I think it's the flip side. So I think he's coming from Oregon over into petitioning the ninth year with Miami. I believe that's what yeah, I saw there. Yeah, but either way, you right. are correct. He is having the nine years of eligibility. And, and and I agree with you there, right? I'm going to double down on that point. If it takes you nine years to get through the college football landscape, and, and, and before I even get into this, Alan, you know me, anybody that watches the show and knows me, you don't give up on your dreams, right? I've been podcasting for almost five no, years, and I'm no. just now – about to start making money off of it because I'm taking it seriously. 
So you don't give up on chasing what you want, right? But if you're right. having three seasons being ended by injury, of course, the COVID year, I'm going to give you slack for that. And then, you know, you're going to go totally. get your extra two years of eligibility. I believe everyone could get one extra and then maybe one, you know, for your season ending injury. But if you're having to spend nine years in college, that might be an indicator of it might not be the, you know, the, the biggest thing cut out for you. And I'll also in the same breath say that I hope Cam McCormick gets drafted into the NFL and he can go on and make those millions of dollars and, and have that life changing wealth and, and be able to change more lives around him. But you look at his numbers, right? In his total of nine years thus far in college, going for his ninth year, he just now played all, ter- all excuse me, all 13 games in his eighth year before petitioning for the ninth year. He's got a total of 20 catches for 197 yards and four touchdowns in his eight years played in college football. And most of that came last year when he played Mm -hmm. those 13 games with Oregon. There was 10 catches for 66 yards and three touchdowns. So the most of his work came in a year where he was granted that year of eligibility, and he also was healthy and able to play all of those 13 games. Uh, But I'm right there with you, you know, on, on there being a cap on how many seasons of eligibility you should really have. I think personally no more than six, and that's pushing it, because I believe if you have a season ending injury, you should get another shot. But if you have a second season ending injury, whether you took the right timeline or recovered right or not, if that's what happens when you go back out there, we can't continue to break and bend the rules for these guys that want to come in and have seven, eight, nine years of eligibility. Again, don't give up on anything. Don't, you know, let anything perturb you from getting to that NFL level because it's the the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, right? But again, if if it's taken you nine years. And I understand he redshirted twice, but yeah. nine years of eligibility, you, you just got to be realistic at, 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 you know, with some certain points at the end of the day. Like, am I really healthy enough to carry out this sport? Are right. NFL scouts really going to have some sort of interest in me if I've had three season ending injuries? For yeah. people who might not personally know my story, I played a little bit of football, you know, in grade school. And then later on in high school, I ran track for a few years, but I couldn't stay healthy. So I quit being an athlete joined the workforce, knew that I still love the game, which is why I have the show today. But the best ability is availability. And, and, and if guys like Cam McCormick or even other guys that are getting these extra years or pushing the, you know, kicking the can down the road for their college football exit, you might just have to take a look in the mirror and, and ultimately maybe change how some of these eligibility years are actually rolled out. But I'm right there with you, man. I think no more than six years, and that's pushing it because recruiting classes come in. You know, there's only Mm -hmm. so many guys that can sign with so many teams. And and I kind of mentioned it in the last episode about Kalen DeBoer and Nick Saban. When you turn over a college roster, you know, every basically three years, maybe two years now at the transfer portal, that's going to take a lot more grit than when you have a Patrick Mahomes and a Travis Kelsey and a Tyreek Hill tied up for, you know, maybe six, seven, eight years on a deal. But let's get into a nitty gritty part of the show real quick. Do you have any last statements on the eligibility before we roll into this godforsaken uh, CFP committee? <laughs> One thing I wanted to hit on was uh... – what you said about the NFL looking into something like that, you know, nine years in the NCAA, that's a long time. That's almost a decade. And they're definitely looking at, oh, injuries. That's uh, NFL scouts are for sure looking at that. And mm-hmm. the likelihood of you being signed to a roster with that many injuries is very right. slim. You might get on the practice squad and who knows if you show some tenacity and some grit in the uh, in the offseason, you know, you may make the squad. Of course. But, um, you know, like I said, you know, nothing but love and prayers for Cam McCormick. I hope his 
career pays off great. I hope he gets drafted, you know, everything. Yeah, 100%, man. I'm right there with you. I don't want a guy that's pushing for generational money, a life that many, many, many people push for, even that try to go to the NFL or college sports and don't get to live, let alone, you know, in the entirety of the world, dude. I I, I couldn't agree more with you. Taylor, thank you for commenting on the show. Ryan, I right there agree with you. No one should play in uh, college for nine years. That's just absolutely astronomical. I mean, I, I remember that coming across on the Bleacher Report. Uh, for a notification oh, on my phone, it, it was you know it was you know a few months back, and as the story has resurfaced time and time again, and I'm just like, how how do you get nine years of eligibility? But let's get into the college football playoff committee, man. As now we know, they're going to be expanding to a 12 team playoff. Alan, do you think the committee is going to be stricter or more lenient now we have now that we're going to have three times the amount? of college football teams eligible to make the playoffs with the 12 teams. So just piggybacking off of what they've done in the past, in the last 10 years of the CFP four team system, uh, they've been very uh, tight knit with that very, in terms of placement, team placement, uh, who's one, who's two, who's three, you know, all, all right. that stuff. And I think I can't help but think that it's going to be a little bit more strict with the 12 teams because you're really going to have to sit there and narrow down the best 12 teams week to week, week in, week out, you know, who's doing this, who's doing that, who's lost, who's not. And, um, and you got a lot of you know, uh, UCF and Cincinnati from like years ago where they were not in the big 12 yet, right. but they were playing some really good ball. So you may have some teams like that, right. some outliers. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I like that you say that they might be stricter because I I think the complete opposite. To be honest with you, I think they're going to be more lenient because you can be so strict with the four team playoff because yeah, it's the four best teams out of twenty five with over a hundred college football teams that are actually in the country, right? But when right. you get into twelve. You're talking about those UCFs. You're talking about those Cincinnati's. You're talking about some of those instances where we're going to see some two loss and call me crazy. We're going to see some three loss teams, I believe, in this 12 team playoff, because much as they want to make sure that these matchups are going to draw eyes, they've heard our complaints, bro. Heard our concerns, and and ever since the four, you know the the twelve or excuse me the four team came out in 2014. I was like, wow, that's going to be really tough for fans to actually buy into the fact that if you're not damn near perfect in college football, you're not going to get selected. So I think they're going to be more lenient, not only for the sake of having some of those underdogs be able to, to get in there, because I believe every underdog in sports makes the great story. You know, we we just oh. saw the Detroit Lions. We saw how at some points this year people thought Michigan was going to be the underdog with Jim Harbaugh and everything else that was happening. But if they're not more lenient with it, it would kind of shock me because I think that, again, they've heard our concerns and they're going to want to have more of those, you know, underdog teams actually come in there and, and just make the landscape be 
what it actually is. But, you know, a couple of points that I want to touch on, actually, for the college football playoff selection committee. So the way that they do the top 25 in general is they do a round of three for the first four. And then they do or excuse me, they do three teams for the first four rounds, if I'm not mistaken. And then they do four teams for the next three until they get one through 25, of course, and they go through and rank them. But one thing that I did see here is when it comes to point persons for gathering information, this is verbatim from Mm. the collegefootballplayoff.com in terms of the CFP selection committee. The selection committee has assigned two, two members to be the point persons to gather material about the teams in each conference and the independent teams. The process will assure, assure that the committee fully reviews each team and that no information is overlooked. The point persons will ensure that, one, the selection committee has complete detailed information about each team, and two, the conferences and independent institutions have an effective and efficient channel for providing facts to the committee. Let's touch on that for a second. Do you think two people is enough to review 12 teams when it comes down to crunch time, let alone 25 when it comes to the polls? Two people, Alan. Is that enough to give all details to the 12, 13 people on the committee and make an accurate 1 through 12 and then 12 through 25? No, I don't. Two people is not enough. Uh, if, if you ask me, I think you need the whole committee in on that decision. Right. Um, you get a lot. I feel like you would get more fair results that way. Um, two people leaves bias, leaves human error in there. Right. And without the other... 10 people, you, you don't have anybody to check you. Uh, you know, oh, well, why put Alabama over FSU or why put Texas in the playoff? You know, that sort of those sort of decisions, those crucial decisions, um, that's caused by stuff like that. Right. Now, Stan corrected a little bit, got a little emotional there as I'm draw, it's, uh, as I'm scrolling to the bottom of this. So they select two people for each conference, and it did say that. So the American, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC, but still only two yeah, people. Still two I, people. I feel like when it comes down to – and it looks like these two people of each of them are – they are from the committee itself. So that does give us a little more grace, and I, and I guess we feel a little more better as we're reading into it and, and talking about it here on the show. But I believe with – as many teams that are in each conference, now you're expanding before when it was only four, two right. people to dissect everything and then give it to the all 13. I'm with you. I think it should be all 13 actually looking in on it. And on a business type of aspect, you could say, oh, well, you outsource some of that grunt work so you can have all the information pushed towards you. Absolutely. But yeah. this is a highly controversial thing that's been in college football. This is why we went from the BCS to the CFP with four teams. And now that's why we're going from the four teams over to the 12 teams, because people want to see more inclusion. People want to see more than mostly the same four teams. And, and thankfully, we've, you know, we've seen a shakeup over the last decade with it. Um, but but it's it's definitely interesting to to look in on that note and, and understand how they actually appoint their information for, you know, what they're handing down to the committee. Now, is there anything that you would change about the CFP committee? And it, and it can be whatever you want. Like if, if you could put one, maybe two rules in there. And, and, and that's what's funny. Let, so let me say this real quick before I ask you that. When you go look at the committee chair, the management committee selects the chair of the committee. But it doesn't exactly say 
how the committee themselves, the members of the committee get selected. They serve three-year terms, Mm -hmm. but is there anything that you would change or if there was a rule that had to be implemented to be a part of that group? You know, what you just said, there is a little bit of gray area in there, isn't it, with the committee and their decisions and who they select and whatnot. And um, I actually heard a few people uh, this past year on ESPN, Fox Sports, et cetera, saying that they would like to try out or be a part of the committee. Yes. Um, and I do agree with the every three year system, um, you know, get them out of there, put new people in. Um, I, I like that part of it. But if I had to add something of my own into the uh, committee process, it would be have a program similar to the BCS not as you know the gospel of oh these are the top 25 teams in the league right now no have have all the data and information collected feed it to that program and whatever they come up with match it with whatever the committee comes up with and then find a find a middle ground there that's what i would do personally i feel like you're gonna get the best um the best 12 teams that way right because if you take stats points per game, percentage of, you know, conversion on third down, uh, all those factors, you're going to come up with the best 12 teams, no question about it. I mean, we saw for years the BCS literally gave us the best two teams in college football. Yeah, um, they did. I wouldn't say that they were right every year, which it's it's impossible to be right every year, right? But I, I think that was the problem and, and my problem personally, you've heard me talk about it. You know, I, I've just now leaned into college football a good bit for the show. I've been an avid watcher all my life, but when you only narrow it down with no real explanation, Oh, well, if this game happens this way and this game happens that way, Florida state and Georgia are going to play for the, for the national championship. That's basically what the BCS told us. Right. Yeah, and we always much. had these questions when we have a, a 15 long, you know, line long uh, a CBS sports graphic on Instagram. It's like, oh, well, this is how they, they decide people are going versus CFP. We're going to go from two to four. The four are going to play out and the two best will play for the championship. Strength of schedule, head to head matchups, common yep. opponents and other variables like don't get mad at me, Alan, availability of key players and, of course, coaches that could possibly affect it as it goes into the postseason. But we're not going to chop that up. I know that's been very rough for you. And, of course, if you <laughs> if you have any sentiments on that, I'd love to let you let it out on the show. But the, the committee's doing what they do, right? And I feel like it's more solid with that way. And they understand that we want to see more. Let's bring 12 into it. And I guarantee you, because me and you included, already mm-hmm. diehard fans of the sport, it's going to bring more people in. It's not the exact comparison, but look at Taylor Swift with the NFL. It's a TV draw. It's a star push. When you bring, when you triple the amount of playoff teams in any sport, let alone college football, which is one of the biggest sports in popularity out there, you're going to draw more people in because we're going to see more star power, more TV time, the possibility of those underdogs getting in there. There's actually a couple things I would change about the committee, man, to be honest with you, because when you go back and look year over year for the CFP committee membership, there's only a handful of people that have actually played the sport. I don't know if you've looked into the CFP committee this year over last year's, but most of them are either national journalists, Mm -hmm. athletic directors, vice presidents of certain athletic, you know, departments at schools, or they've been a head coach. 
I love yeah. the fact that some of these guys have been a head coach. Like when you look at Chris Alt from this year, a guy that's credited with really, you know, popularizing the pistol offense when he coached for yeah. Nevada in oh, 2005. Yeah. Will Shields, who made the Pro Bowl every single year from the mid 90s to the mid 2000s and, you know, kind of late 2000s with the Kansas City Chiefs, Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2015, Walter Payton Man of the Year. When you look at guys like Tyrone Willingham in past years, that's the type of stuff I like to see. But when you're looking at a guy, or not a guy, but when you're looking at certain people, like, let me make sure I have her name correct, and this is no slight at her. There was a young lady named Condoleezza Rice, who was a mm -hmm. former United States Secretary of State. She oh. has no college football background. She has no athletic coaching background. And for everyone watching, I'm not taking a shot at a female. But if you're talking about being in this committee and knowing the sport, you need, for me, you need to have either at least coached or played. But when you coach and play, you watch tape, you understand the nuances, the lingo, you, you get more of how the game goes. Athletic director and head coaches as of now, which is what most of it is, I'm okay with that in a way. I like more head coaching than athletic directing because we know ADs, they oversee, you know, possible facilities and how the equipment might roll out and hiring head coaches and, and looking at personnel and things like that in college. But I really believe that these guys should at least play for some point, whether it's collegiate or professional, because outside of Will Shields, no one on the current committee has played. Thankfully, we had the blessing of Ronnie Lott on some of the earlier committees, and mm -hmm. we only see them for three years, and then we have them cycle back through. But a lot of these guys have not played, but don't worry, I'm not done just yet. Y'all probably going to think that I'm making a millennial, Gen Z, Gen Xer comment. Do your math. I'm 26 years old. That's for you to decide which category I fall in. Can we have some sort of youth in this group? I'm not saying that it's made up of too many old people, but there is not one person in this current committee or even past committees that has some sort of youthful vibe to the game. People can resonate with on a major level. And I'm not taking shots at the Boo Corrigans and the Chris Alts and the Will Shields that have served on the committee, but I want to see more than just people that I feel like are middle-aged or a little older in life. And that's not to be derogatory at all, but we need to have some diversity and mm -hmm. some sort of maybe even complexity in a way to make this system more rounded. And, and maybe complexity isn't the right word, but I, I believe diversity falls perfectly in there. And also only three women ever have served on the college football playoff committee. Mm -hmm. I understand ladies can't get into college football playoff, but I want to give Kelly Whiteside some of her flowers here real quick. Let me make sure I have it pulled up. So Kelly Whiteside has served on the college football playoff committee for the last couple years. She spent 14 years at USA Today as the national college football writer. She also covered the Olympics and the World Cup. She's covered seven Olympic games, nine World Cups, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, multiple college sports, um, she's actually a professor right now at Montclair State University. And even some of those current career occupations, I'd like to see more active involvement because Alan, you know, and, and butt in at any time, man, I'm knowing yeah. I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but the committee, when you dig into it, it's no wonder why it's flawed. Sometimes yeah. the game is ever changing. This is an offensive sport, the transfer portal, the big 12 and the Pac 12 and the big 10 and the sec are rearranging. Yes. And Absolutely. we're going to have possible athletic directors, retired people, you know, secretary of states on the college football playoff committee. Right. I just I, I don't understand that to its fullest extent. No. But yes, Condoleezza Rice, Kelly Whiteside. And, and there was one more young lady that also served on the committee as well. My point is, though, can we get some more diversity? 
Can we get some more active involvement in the sport of football, whether it's college or professional? I'm off my damn soapbox, man. Take the floor. So I wanted to hit on a couple of points Um, about former Secretary Condi Rice. um, I wanted to point out with her, maybe with her being on the committee, maybe it was like uh, one of those spectator kind of uh yeah. decisions maybe uh, like get it the vibe out in the right maybe get the occupation. spectator's point of view of the sport right um not so much as the ad background or a coaching background necessarily um right. but i do think there needs to be more women involved um you could easily easily have like a molly mcgrath on there yeah or, or a Kay adams or somebody of football yes. knowledge i right. mean uh, you know, you could definitely have that. And then RG3 said he was interested in being in the committee. And right. that youthful vibe would be totally helpful. And also right. former former Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if anybody knows about the college landscape and perspective, it's Robert Griffin III. Especially the hostility of being in the Heisman Absolutely. spotlight. They're going to they're gonna pull your life out of the ringer to find every reason not to possibly right. vote for you and deter scouts. So I absolutely agree with you 100% on the diversity um, factor in uh, the committee. And um, and I still think, you know, like I said, it should be three years. You know, you serve your time like a president or a you know secretary or whatever, and you move on. Right. Uh, you move on to something else. I do feel like there should be less ADs and more coaches on there. Agreed. Agreed. The majority um, of these guys are athletic directors. Yeah. Maybe have like a coach Saban on there now that he's retired you know that would be one of the best people to have on there coach Saban we talking to you yeah we're talking to you right now we know you're gonna see the show take your ass over to NCAA (laughs) and demand to be on that board (laughs) they ain't gonna say nothing about it nope (laughs) not a damn thing no I'm I'm right there with you and you know even when I was looking at the you know members generally serve three-year terms I believe that is something that you have to apply in an ever-changing sport like college football, especially with the transfer portal, because one, you 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 want to have fresh eyes, and it kind of goes into you don't want to have voter fatigue. You know, you don't right. want to see the same four pretty frequently. Another reason why we're expanding to the twelve. I think the expansion to the twelve teams honestly is better for college football. We're going to get into a topic next. That's very controversial about whether it's ruined or better college football also, but any uh, closing statements sounded like we're in a t- uh, courtroom here before we move on to the next one. Um, no, not much to hit on there. Yeah. We touched that one pretty well. Next topic here on episode 63 of the NFL with AJL. And then we'll get into a little sponsor break before we roll out with the last few topics, the ever so discussed, college football transfer portal we know what it's done we know about nil we've heard about college athletes their work ethics possibly deteriorating we see people bounce all over no matter the star no matter the rating they had out of high school and sometimes even to the point of no matter the success they've had is the college football transfer portal bettering or ruining the game with how it's currently played out I think it's doing a little bit of both simultaneously. And, you know, I'll give you the con first. I feel like loyalty and, you know, the team mentality has changed. Um, 
especially with the whole opt-out bowl game situation, that makes mm-hmm. it a little bit worse there. But where's the loyalty to the team anymore? Yeah, and I'm all about the people getting paid. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about the players getting paid. They deserve it 100%. Yep. I mean, they're laying their life down, getting in 20 car crashes every Saturday so we could watch something on TV. Right. And um, that's the one thing that, I, you know, I think is really – you know, change the landscape of the sport is the whole team mindset that we used to have, because you're not going to see that 0405 USC anymore. You're not going to see that Texas from back when with Vince Young. You're not going right. to see that anymore. Uh, those old school Alabama teams, you know, it, it's changed now. And now everybody's like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And oh, but yeah. on the other hand, I completely understand it. It's a business decision. It's a business move. You got to do what's best for you and your family. And I understand that, man. Go get it. Um, but especially in the bowl game scenario, that's a bit rough. Right. We'll be getting to those bowl games a little later in the show. And that's a, well, actually, next topic once we once we hit the break. But is the college football transfer portal bettering or ruining the game with how it is now? I'm right there with you. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's bettering the game because we've seen guys like Caleb Williams, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts jump into the portal, really great success, Heisman winners, you know, number one picks, great NFL careers because they entered the transfer portal. But the and, and, and it gives guys a second chance. I believe everything and everyone in life deserves a second chance within certain context and reason. But for the most part, right? Like we're going to make mistakes. Our brains have to grow. You don't know till you know. Maybe you decided that LSU wasn't for you and, and you wanted to go to Arkansas State or whatever the case is, right? But the mm-hmm. reason I think it's ruining the game is because I get this impression that guys are going in. They're not, they're, they're not getting enough of their snap counts up front. They don't yep. like the way the coach is. And instead of being grinded on, mm-hmm. pause, by a Nick Saban, by a Kirby Smart, by a Jim Harbaugh, they're like, oh, hell no, I want to jump ship and run because I don't want to be coached hard. When you get to the league, guys like Andy Reid, Sean Payton, John and Jim Harbaugh, Sean McVay, they're going to coach the hell out of you. There's a reason why they're touted as some of the best offensive and coaching minds in the NFL, and you'll have come, you know, you'll have players come out and say that as well. And that's one thing that kind of worries me is I don't want it to get to the point of okay, this guy only like like I, tell me if I'm wrong, dude. It's going to get to a point. To where people are really stat watching those snap counts or the snap mm-hmm. count percentage taken, and they're like, if he's not fifty percent plus, he's going to transfer, and that's sad. You know, like yeah. you have to you have to understand the scheme, you have to vibe with your players, you have to get with the coach, and that is what is made some of the Troy Polamalu's, some of the Jalen Hurts's, even though he did transfer, you know, some of the Stetson Bennett's because they grinded it out. They sat behind people. They had to wait for those people to be in Absolutely. front of them. And then they had to prove themselves versus no, I'm just going to gump, you know, jump ship and go play for another team. So better or ruining it. I'm on, I'm kind of on the fence with you as well. It's a, it's a middle ground for me. I think there's pros and cons of the transfer portal in college football. If there was a vote to keep, or eliminate the transfer portal, what's your vote and what's your argument for it? So I have no choice but to keep it because uh, just generally speaking, my team has benefited significantly from the portal. 
Um, As a Florida State diehard fan, uh, Mike Norvell has been, you know, prowling the portal for the last two to three seasons, and he's been executing like, you know, there's no tomorrow, Um, scoring some of the best pickups in the portal um, this year, too. Um, And I'd be I'd be a hypocrite to say I don't like the transfer portal because it brought us back to relevancy again. Right. It revived some of those teams. Taggart ran us into the ground and then Mike inherited a mess. And, you know, he didn't do too well the first two seasons he was there. One was a COVID year. And then he went to a 10 and three season now to a 13 and one season, you know, uh, not really counting the whole bowl game fiasco, but I'm sure we'll hit on that in a little bit. Right. Um, But yeah, I don't have a problem with it overall. Uh, I I'd vote to keep it. Yeah, it's it's a tough one for me, man. Because part of me is like I, I miss that, you know, nineteen eighty five to, oh, to yeah. two thousand and nine college football. You know, like a, a, yeah. born in nineteen ninety seven. See, y'all, rip me in the comments if you want. But I right. went back and watched historic college football games. I went back and watched, you know. Palomalo at USC. I've seen oh, the type yeah. of play and tape that was out back then and what Ed made Reed these legends. Miami. Right. Ed Reed in Miami, uh, uh, yeah. Jason Taylor. You know, we saw what yeah. that type of football actually did for those guys. But I yeah, love man. seeing guys get second chances. I love seeing guys being able to transfer out and go win Heisman's and go number one overall and go to Super Bowls and revitalize their career. And I want to use Ryan's comment right here to kind of piggyback as well. He says transfer portal should be limited to once a year or they should go back to taking a year of eligibility. We're actually going to touch on that exact part in just a second. But I'm right there with you. Everyone mm-hmm. deserves a second chance. Get your transfer out. If that wasn't mm-hmm. for you, fine. I believe right. as young as these student athletes are, This is your livelihood. This is your future. This is your career you're talking about. Stay up late. Get up early. Get in the trenches. Roll your sleeves up. Get knees deep. Do your homework on these coaches, on these cultures, on these states, on these universities so you don't have to possibly get caught in a pickle because that's why we didn't see a lot of guys transfer. Right. And I believe with them taking that year of eligibility after that first transfer, like first transfer, that's fine. But if you're going to transfer out again, there's got to be some sort of, of of pushback or kickback for that. And I actually read something. So if you transfer from a four-year to another four-year, after you transfer to a four-year twice, I believe you have to sit out a year. But if you go from a two to a four and back to a two-year – so like JUCO, four-year JUCO, you've only transferred to a four-year one time. So there's kind of a loophole there yeah. where you don't you know have to, have to lose the um, – the eligibility, but I, I would keep the transfer portal as well because I love seeing careers get revitalized. I believe the transfer portal, unfortunately, is doing a little more bad than good because the the negativity is always going to come up to the surface. But again, when you see the stories of you know some of the guys that have have done it lately, like Caleb, like Joe, like Jalen, how can you not appreciate it? Caleb right, Williams absolutely. probably going to be a star in the league. Joe Burrow, two healthy years, one Super Bowl, two AFC title games. Right. Jalen Hurts, basically second year as a starter, he comes within three points of outplaying, albeit a, a hobbled, Patrick Mahomes in a shootout in the yeah. Super Bowl. Almost won the Who's Super an MVP Bowl. and won yeah. the Super Bowl MVP. And I believe, although Jalen should not, y'all know how passionate I am about Jalen Hurts, although Jalen should not have lost his job at Alabama, 
he had that second coming at Oklahoma. And if Joe Burrow didn't happen because Joe Burrow won the Heisman, ironically, another transfer, Joe Burrow won the Heisman by a record landslide. Landslide, yeah. Jalen Hurts came in second, but it wasn't even close. But he was still in that conversation. Of course, until he started turning the ball over, and then Joe Burrow came in six six thousand yards, sixty touchdowns, you know, undefeated national champion, mm-hmm. and and the rest is history. You know, maybe the best college football team in history. But before we get off the transfer portal and get into the break for the show, should they have just like Ryan was mentioning, should they have kept the must sit out one year requirement before they did away with it in April of twenty twenty one? If you transfer at all, you sacrifice a year of eligibility. Do you believe that they should have kept that strict line there? I think if you, like Ryan was saying, I think if you transfer more than one time, because let's face it, Joe Burrow only transferred one time. Jalen Hurts transferred one time. time. Caleb Burrow transferred one time. One time. Okay. And, you know, that was enough. Dylan Gabriel transferred one time. We'll see how he plays out at Oregon this season. But, um, you know, I'm with that. I think one time and that's it. You know, you should be penalized if you do anymore, because I've seen several players transfer three, four times. And I'm like, right. How are I'm you like, is this for you? Is like, it the university or is it you? Is it the coach? <laughs> is it the university? Uh, is it a, is it a me, me, me mindset? Like, Oh, I'm not getting enough reps. I ain't getting enough catches. I ain't getting enough this, that, you know, is it a selfish mentality? You know, right. and that's where I want to wrap it back, back around to is like, it all comes back to the team, the team vibe. You know, Jalen had that at Oklahoma. Yes, he did. Joe Burrow had that at LSU. Yep. And it made them better players, arguably, in the NFL. And, uh, you know, like I said, ultimately, I agree with Ryan. One time, and then you're penalized for a year. And, oh, maximum of six, by the way. That's me personally. That's what I think. Yeah, 100%. We agreed on that as soon as we got into the episode. I I don't think they should have kept – the must sit out one year. I did think that it was a little harsh because I believe that the NCAA and the college football landscape understood that you're basically asking as early as a 16, 17 year old and, and Jesus, maybe even 14 or 15. If you're really popping eyes in eighth and ninth grade, you're asking them with their still underdeveloped mind to hypothetical sake, look into a Nick Saban and understand the grit of the coaching and get familiar with Tuscaloosa and Bryant-Denny Stadium and how a lot of those fans are obnoxious. Yes, the fan base will have a wear on your franchise. Let's just call it what it is. We are the dollars that fuel the billionaires that own these NFL teams and, you know, that Mm -hmm. pays these athletic directors and directors and, you know, Kirby Smart's $30 million contract, whatever the case may be. You're asking a really young individual to grasp that. And this is the complaint that I have, and you and I have talked about it too. Mm -hmm. When you draft someone in the NBA, you cannot expect an 18 or 19-year-old to run the San Antonio Spurs. Respect to Victor Wembenyama. He's being being absolutely great right now. But that's a lot. That is a lot. And that's why we talk about the NBA kind of being, you know, a a little funny with how they recruit players and how they draft them. And, oh, you can do a one-and-done in college. So I believe these college athletes, especially in college football, they deserve a second chance because you're going to grow more from 18 to 19, from 19 to 20, and especially from 20 to 22, maybe even 23, which, you know, some of the younger guys in the NFL are kind of experiencing their age as they're getting drafted. But no, I don't think they should have kept the must sit out one year requirement because, again, we did see certain people maybe not play a year. And it doesn't mean that they're not practicing off the field. 
but there's no speed like that live game speed. There's no tape like that, like that live game tape. And you got to be in it and you got to experience it. So, so you can ultimately, you know, make things happen. This has been episode 63 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody jumping into the show. We're not going anywhere. Just hitting a quick sponsor break. Alan Spradlin, my cousin, my brother is with me on the college football exclusive show tonight as we're chopping up eligibility, the committee, and many more things. Please make sure to like and share the stream wherever you may be watching and subscribe on YouTube. Y'all been absolutely crushing it. Y'all seem to love this college football content, so I'm bringing you an exclusive college football show and again we're hoping to do a recurring segment here with my bro Uh, again subscribe like share hit the bell on youtube so you never ever miss a post you you know what i love bro it's like people know when i do the sponsor break with them Mm -hmm. they know to point to the things i'm talking about because i'm about to put that (laughs) qr code up there as well hit the qr code for every bit of social media and podcast content at the nfl with ajl hashtag the nfl with ajl and um, if y'all want some more of alan's possible information too, hit me up hit us up we'll give it to you and you can check out what he's got going on look at my boy scanning the code he knows what's up y'all make sure to follow in his footsteps and as always we're sponsored by buy and sell with ajl for all your worldwide professional real estate needs looking to buy a home sell a home or invest in real estate this is the team that you need to be working with hit them up on social media get down in the comments Give them your email address if you want to get on their exclusive newsletter that's actually giving you the up-to-date, real-time facts, not the media headlines, of the real estate market. And you can also get implemented on their AI as well with the business to really benefit their clients, buyers, sellers, however you might need possible real estate services. Buy and sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs. Bowl game opt-outs. We saw... We had the Orange Bowl, I believe it was correct, between Georgia and FSU, and I think there were over 20 players that opted out in total for each side. We've Mm -hmm. seen some of these players, okay, if they're an NFL draft prospect and they're not playing in the top four teams, they're just going to sit out. And this is going to drastically change, I believe, now that we have this top 12 uh, instead of top four with the CFP or uh, college football playoffs. Bowl game opt-outs, though, fair or foul, and what's your argument for your decision? I I say fell because you danced with your team all season. Um, maybe you got to a point where you uh, maybe you got to a bowl game, but it wasn't the bowl game that you necessarily wanted. Uh, maybe you're going in the first round of the NFL draft, like a Keon Coleman or a, or a Jared Burris or a Braden Fisk, someone like that on FSU. Um, I, I understand the opt out there, but all 23 of them, no, come on, man. You know, that that impacted the game significantly. Kirby, I got to give credit to him. He even nailed that on the press conference. He said, fix it. Fix right. it. Right. Because that's why this lopsided victory happened. If FSU had all their weapons, that would have been a much different game. I'm not advocating that Florida State would have beaten Georgia because Georgia is right. a mighty team. I mean, right. they're... They they fumbled the bag against Alabama. That was their fault, right. and they owned it. Yeah, but um, credit to Bama. you know, credit to Bama. But you know, when it comes to the Florida State situation, you know, and I know Mike, it, he took the blame for it all. He took that sixty-three to three, you know, whooping, and he said, "Look, y'all didn't get my best, and I'm sorry." And I I, I commend him for that. But he had a bunch of freshmen, right? And guys who have never played a down before staring right. down one of the best college football teams of all time. 
And, right. And you got a lad McConkey or and no Brock Bowers, but still a lad McConkey and a Carson Beck. You got weapons. Right. You know, right. and um, I overall, I'm, I'm sorry to rant, but overall, I oh, say I say Powell. Yeah, I'm right there with you, too. Um, mostly foul. The only reason I'm going to say fair is like you said, if you are a first round pick or a, a highly recruited uh, prospect, you know, going into the NFL, because we know injuries can really, really happen at any time. And like we just talked about earlier on with the eligibility with Cam McCormick, a lot of his injuries happening. Mm -hmm. The best ability is availability. We've seen guys draft stock drop. Like, unfortunately your guy, Jordan Travis, his draft stock yeah. is naturally going to drop because he didn't, he didn't break a finger. He broke a leg, right. which is a part yeah. of mobility. Now, whether he broke a finger or an arm or a leg or, or, you know, uh, uh, fractured his, uh, you know, neck or whatever, not to be horrible about it, but at the quarterback position, it's, it's going to affect you. And especially if it's, you know, an extremity that you have to lose a lot or use a lot. But the reason I'm going to say foul, you know, mostly foul is, is like you said, you ride with your team and you die with your team. And unfortunately this era of waning, you know, deteriorating loyalty is starting to rear its ugly head in college football. And NIL was kind of a thing of that. Let's go buy the best player. Now we've got eligibility. Oh, you don't want to be loyal to finish your four years in the five calendar years? Okay, well then we're, you know, they're going to make a little bit of a flexibility on that. And then the transfer portal. And now we're looking at bowl game opt-outs. And this is why people have the conversation of, is college football getting better? Or is it getting worse? I think it's in kind of a gray area right now in a couple of key years. Thankfully, the 12-team playoff is coming in. It's it's going to really decide where the sport heads for the future. But yeah, I'm going to say mostly foul because, again, I miss those early – I miss the early golden days of football in general back when those Troy Palomalus, Bryant McFadden's, you know um, – Lord, I'm trying to think, you know, early Matt Ryan days, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick. I, I miss those days. The Jason Taylors, the Ed Reeds, the uh, the Sean Taylors. I miss those hard-hitting, unfiltered football days. And those oh, guys yeah. were as loyal as they came. You didn't see a Russell Wilson go into mm -hmm. the Broncos. You didn't see an Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. You didn't see a Tom Brady go into the Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. And as sports do change and they do evolve – this is going to be, in my opinion, a, a ripple effect that we see with the bowl game opt-outs. Are bowl games dead if a top 12 team isn't playing in them? Is it even worth it? Of course, they're always going to be played because of money, and college football is a big, you know, not a big money grab, but it, it is a business behind it at the end of the day. We know Correct. that's what these franchises are. Do you think bowl games are dead if a top 12 team isn't playing? Uh no, overall, because I think the masses love college football. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Eastern Carolina University <laughs> playing uh, San Jose Tennessee State. Right. Yeah, somebody's going to watch that game and be like, you know, they're going to kick back with their boys, have a few drinks, you know, watch that game, have a good time. Uh, I think that's what it boils down to there. Um, I, I don't I don't see the bowl game season suffering too much um, outside of the 12 main teams because the 12 main teams are going to cover the majority of the uh, New Year's Six Bowls and such. Uh, you're going to have your powerhouse teams in there um, in the New Year's Six Bowls, and um, everybody will just be excited for more football, I think. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. To me – it's it's a little bit of a tough decision to actually make 
And college football feels like it's this polarizing sport. And and of course, you know, any sport can be polarizing, but this is why I wanted to do a, a specific segment on it because there's a lot of good, you know, topics that go into it. Bowl games being dead if a top 12 team isn't playing, I'm going to say somewhat because we know naturally more eyes are going to be on those CFP top 12 teams that are going for the national championship. And yeah. we also have to second the fact that if these bowl game opt-outs continue, and I believe penalties will come down, I believe possible sanctions will come down to where players are going to just have to get it together. I think NIL is going to have a correction. I think the transfer portal is going to have a correction. I think eligibility is going to have a correction. College football is kind of in a a purgatory in a way, right? Like we don't really know what it's going to turn into. We just kind of feel like we're floating in this world of a sport and we've got a lot of superstars and everyone's jumping around. But when the hell is the big bang going to happen and the new world of college football is formed, right? Because I don't believe this is the new permanent landscape of how the sport is going to play out. But if these bowl game opt-outs continue why am i gonna watch respectfully alan a 63 to 3 georgia ass whooping of florida state if i can go watch you know number one play number four hypothetically to to go to the you you know what i mean like i'm gonna want to see the stars i'm gonna want to see the guys that are actually out there being loyal running with it to the end but i will respect the guys that play in those bowl games because they're gonna want to get every bit of tape every every bit of exposure scouting reports just reps in that they can get because not only is football, you know, literally a contact sport, but it's like figuratively as well. How many reps are you getting in? How many times are you seeing that? There's a reason that Brady and Breeze and Manning were so great because they saw everything. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get everything past them. There's Absolutely. a reason that Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Ed Reed were Hawks because oh, they yeah. saw a lot and you couldn't get it past them. Maybe their careers nope. didn't end like we wanted some of the legends to, but but you understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. Speaking of Kirby Smart fixing it, do you think there should be a penalty or stipulations for opting out, get as wild as you want to with it, bro? I don't care yes. if it means that you have to not get drafted. So, until If you're a projected second round, you got to get drafted as a third round. Lay it on me. I don't know what uh, penalty you could come up with, but I do think there needs to be one for opting out of a bowl game. Regardless if it's a uh, you know a playoff bowl game, like with the 12 team system, or if it's a just plain Jane bowl game, mm-hmm. you know, like the um, Gasparilla bowl or whatever, you know what I'm saying? People stay saying that name. I'm like, that name costs attraction for some reason. This yeah. Year. <laughs> On Tampa Bay. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, I think there does need to be a penalty because your guys have relied on you so heavily this year. And let's say you're an integral part of that offense or that defense and they're missing you. That's going to cause that 63 to three butt whooping on national television. And it's going to leave the fans and the boosters feeling embarrassed. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, needs to be taken into account when opting out for a bowl game. Now, if you still want to do it and they offer you the consequences up front, you know, be my guest, you know, it's, opt out to your heart's content um i'm like i said i'm not sure what penalty they can impose on a player for opting out of a bowl game but i do think they need to do something to keep the florida state versus georgia orange bowls from happening ever again because that wasn't good for college football even if you're a a florida gator fan you know they hate both of us they didn't want to see that come on Right. Perspective, too. I mean, you remember I was going to come over and watch the game. Obviously, right. life and schedules got in the way, but I'm like, damn, bro. 
What's the I, point? I know you probably wouldn't have wanted to watch that. And, and respectfully, I'm glad we didn't have to watch I that did. game together because because that exactly we did it. That was an atrocity. I was out dinner, you know, I was out having dinner with good friends because I yeah. knew that over 20 people for right. two of the best teams in the country that arguably could have been included didn't have all their players at their disposal. You know, right. so like, are, are, are you going to go watch a 60 point blowout in a game that doesn't advance the college football playoff rankings? Or are you going to go watch a meaningful team as an underdog or dominant force push to win the national championship, especially in the first year of the 12-team playoff? I wouldn't be shocked, Alan, if these bowl game opt-outs continue and we have historic record lows for bowl game viewership. Straight up. Uh, And I hope someone digs deep enough. I I hope that I get the access to the resources to dig deep enough because you got to go really, really deep to see that there. But I just I don't I don't want that to be a thing. I got a crazy one that I actually just thought thought of, but I'm gonna be real with it. So, if you're in any bowl game, mm-hmm. there's two outcomes. You're either playing your last game of the season, and it's the Orange Bowl, funded by boosters, whatever viewership, or you're pushing for a national championship. Mm-hmm. You should definitely play if you're in the top 12 teams. But if mm-hmm. you want to possibly not play in that bowl game, and I get it, the injury thing, I totally understand that, and. Part of me makes me want to flip my argument over to it should be fair because injuries can happen at any time. We live in the Colin Murray tell his ACL tear his ACL just running up the side. But if you don't want to be down pat, you know, stand on business, ten toes for your team, right? It's a possibility you shouldn't be able to perform in the NFL Combine. Maybe the Uh, pro day, which is kind of BS. But if you don't want to ride it out to the end of the season with your team. Why should the NFL possibly look at you to participate in the combine? And the combine does matter. Mm -hmm. You know, people look at the 40 time. They look at your shuttle. They look at your bench press, your height, your weight, your broad jump, all that stuff, right? It's it's your raw measurement. That's basically your CRCT, right? For for some of the older generation out there (laughs) uh, with the standardized testing before you get to the NFL. You know what I mean? I think... If if in in the penalty and stipulation could go anyway, and I'm you know just kind of spitballing because it's not well not that I'm spitballing I've I've dug deep to find some you know reasons for why there should be penalties and as we discuss them here, mm-hmm. but anything can happen with these penalties and stipulations. Oh, yeah. I think that they should not get to perform in the NFL Combine. There has to be some sort one. of discipline or drawback. For the lack of loyalty that is creeping forward, not only from the NFL, but now into college sports. And I just, you know, my mom always told me growing up, what you allow will continue. I believe that now at 26. I believe that when I was 2.6 years old. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's always been something that I've stood by. And if you don't correct that, it's going to continue to happen. Uh, Last topic here on the show before we get out of episode 63. Alan, it's been such a blast having you on, bro. Um, I'm so glad we got to do this. Let's talk about the transfer portal a little more. Yeah. Will Alabama potentially suffer with a five-star quarterback, defensive back, and offensive lineman transferring out? They also lost four-star Isaiah Bond, who was one of their best players last year. Do you think Alabama is going to suffer with having four-star players transferring out and probably because of the Nick Saban news? I do think they take a bit of a hit. Not as significant as one might think. Um, because they still right. are Alabama. I mean, he's still Nick's still got some depth down there um, right. that has not left yet, um, including Jalen Milrow. I mean, we saw the wheels on that kid last year. We saw the passing ability. Did he get shut down by that great Michigan defense? Absolutely. But you know, uh, that's the all. Best in the country. 
Right. That was the best team in the country, no question. Yep. Um, you know, they're not I think I think they'll be uh I think they'll be about an eight or nine win team next year. Um Ooh, yeah, I don't, first year I don't think they win the SEC. I don't even think they go to the SEC championship because you do have uh Brian Kelly down there at LSU now. Right. right. Um he's getting his players in there, Oklahoma being a part of it now, Texas being a part of it. Those are two wrenches thrown into the plant. Yep. Um, so I do think they're good, uh, not mediocre, not great, but I do think they're serviceably good. Kalen DeBoer is a proven great winning head coach at everywhere he's been. Um, so yes, I'm excited to see what he does. I mean, um, I don't like Alabama, but I, college football isn't great when they're not doing good. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Alabama's here the the elephant the damn crimson tide all the chants from the fans we know how it plays out uh the alabama in terms of you know suffering with having these guys lose maybe i was a little harsh on the wording there in the lineup i don't believe they're going to suffer they're definitely going to feel it though um, oh, yeah. When you have any five-star athlete, you know, move out of there, especially oh. at, you can argue, three of the most pivotal positions in football. If one of these guys would have been an edge rusher, I would say three of the most pivotal oh, positions. Yeah. Like quarterback, O-line for sure. DB, you always want to draft a lockdown DB. You always want to draft a stand-up O-line that doesn't get pancaked. You always want to draft a great quarterback because that's the franchise. And you always want to draft a great edge rusher because if you can't get after that quarterback – you're probably not going to have much success with your defense. You're going to put a lot of stress on the back end. They also lose, like I said, four-star Isaiah Bond as well. Mm -hmm. I agree with a lot of what you said. They are still going to have that Nick Saban, you know, vibe and culture down there. There are still people on that staff that maybe Saban tried to recruit up and possibly couldn't. And Mm -hmm. we saw Sark went to Texas. Kirby went to, uh, excuse me, Kirby went to Georgia. Mm -hmm. Nick possibly realized that everybody wanted a piece of what Alabama had. So maybe his exact replacement that he wanted to groom isn't there, but that culture is still ever so, you know, uh, prominent. I, I believe even with Kalen DeBoer, Alabama's still going to have a top three to five recruiting class in the, in college football. Precisely. Even, you can't tell me that that won't happen. No, it, it's still going to happen. And the fact of the matter is you still have Coach Saban on the premises. He's right. got an office above uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium now. And, he's, and Coach DeBoer has said, you know, I expect to hear – input from coach Saban once a week on what we could be doing improving on etc and uh there's still going to be a little bit of that it factor for Alabama there that classic Saban feeling there's still going to be a little bit of residual but they won't be traditional you would cut out a little bit you said they won't be traditional like you don't think they'll be just no no they won't be traditional Alabama overall yeah yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's 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 not going to be a huge lift as much as it feel like it will because it's Nick Saban's shoes, but look at what Saban's built. Oh, it's yeah. not like at the end of Belichick's era when the Patriots mm-hmm. are falling back Run apart hard. and you hire yeah. the inside linebackers coach Gerard Mayo to take over. No, you're talking about the runner-up of the Washington, or excuse me, the runner-up of the College Football National Championship, Kalen DeBoer, come from the Washington Huskies, who just dealt with a great transfer from Indiana, and Michael Penix, oh, who yeah. should be on everyone's first-round draft board. I don't know why too. he's not at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, 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 I, I'm with you, man. I mean, Alabama's going to reload. They're going to restock. 
they're going to feel it. But I think for as many guys as get out of there, they're going to be looking to bring in, you know, at least two more just to have that that solidarity on the back end. Give me your top three teams with the best transfer portal activity right now. So um, non-biased here, uh, just looking objectively. Um, he said that twice. Now you all heard that non-biased objectively. Everybody right. listen up. And in this order, Oregon, Ole Miss, and Florida State. They have been the most consistent in the portal since the season ended. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to look at it here. FSU pulled several players from Alabama. Whether they were starters or not, that's still great talent. Um, I think they uh, got 15 players overall, 10 10 of them four-stars. Wow. I mean, yeah, 10 four stars. DJU being one of those. Yep. From Oregon State. 10 four so stars, five three stars. That's a big name. Uh, Coach Norvell, he's he's a proven portal winner. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen it year in and year out. I, I said that earlier. Um, right. And as for Oregon, um, they pulled off some major moves as well. Um, in terms yeah. of quarterback space, they got Dylan Gabriel and, and Dante Moore from UCLA. He said he wanted to come mm-hmm. in and play backup under Dylan. And when do you get two great quarterbacks like that behind uh, one sitting behind one? You know, you, you don't see that very often. Um, Dan knows what he's doing there. Uh, he, right. he, he, he's found a sufficient way to fill the Bo Nix void in Eugene, Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. And they have a legitimate shot at the uh, title next year, I think, because they got one five-star, five, four-stars. Uh, they've just picked up that Jabbar Muhammad guy as well. Um, and then as for Ole Miss, he snagged the number one D lineman and also the number one edge in the country. Right. So, And you, we all know Coach Kiffin is a portal wizard. So, yeah, mm-hmm. those are uh, they picked up one five-star, seven, four-star recruits. Um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the SEC next year. And don't be surprised if you see them in the SEC championship or at least almost going. Right. Nah, 100%. Got to give the tip to Ole Miss. They have uh, one of the lone five stars that actually went in the transfer portal. Of course, Texas has one. Um, Ohio State actually has two five-star recruits that they were able to pick up as well. And then, you know, outside of that, you didn't see a whole lot of five-stars flip over. So I'm going to definitely give some of that credit to Ohio State because even if you only have – no, four total five. transfers and towards a five, four, and three stars, two five stars, one four, one three. That's still very impressive. Going to give Ole Miss that credit as well, pulling in seven four stars and a five star. Very impressive. Oregon also bringing in that five star and then having the, um, you know, the the, the five four stars. And, and like you said, shout out Florida State, 10 four star commits. Right. Flipping some over from Alabama. That's huge. And like you said, those players that are getting flipped and, and, and those and those players that are coming over, they've got that Saban in them. Oh, yeah. They, got that they understand that blue blood type of work that comes out of the University of Alabama. They understand mm-hmm. the culture that they've been, you know, held up to. And, and, and I agree with you, man. A lot of these teams that are bringing these guys in, they're going to be set up for success because if you don't pivot, you're not going to be successful. What did the NFL just go from? Pocket passers to now you want to have a little bit of dual threat capability. Oh, yeah. People talking about Nick Saban retiring because, oh, he, he retired because he's 72. Okay. He was still at the top of his game with mm-hmm. one of the most bare rosters he's ever had, and he still so beat the number one, one team in the country. But what is the possible indicator? If he can't pivot, 
sell these kids based off money and not work ethic and the mission and get active in that transfer portal. That's why I thought Kalen DeBoer was a great hire. Yeah. Because not only was he the runner up in the national championship, but he dealt with a freaking Michael Penix who was not necessarily that highly touted coming out of Indiana. If you saw Michael Penix before he got to Washington, you knew he was special. It was like watching Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech or even when Baker walked on at Oklahoma. You felt something special about it and you knew, you know, outside of Baker. And of course, we have to wait to see with Michael Penix that he was going to be special. Of course, Mahomes has done what he's done, and I believe he's going to win his third Super Bowl this year against the Niners, but that's another show, of course. If you can't pivot in college football, if you can't understand how to make things happen in that transfer portal, you're going to get left behind. And I, I think all these teams that are out there, you know, picking up these recruits. It's going to be really good for them. Of course, we got Colorado active, Texas as well. But what are your thoughts on this before we get out of here? Because I saw this before we got on. Mm -hmm. Georgia, Alabama, and LSU have the least amount of incoming transfers at this point in the season. Give me your thoughts on that. Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, all SEC teams, have the least amount of transfers coming into their program right now. I can't say I'm necessarily surprised with the Alabama, uh, but Georgia and LSU definitely shock me a little bit because uh, you're usually seeing transfers in and out of air, um, right? Quite frequently, um, more so in than out, right? Um, I mean, just look at the talent that Georgia and LSU's produced in just the last five seasons, right? Um, aside from Heisman winner Jaden Daniels at LSU over there. Um, uh, that does shock me a little bit. Do I think it'll make a uh, a big difference in terms of how uh, they're ranking in the SEC and overall? Uh, yes and no. Uh, it could play a major role, but I think they've got weapons right now actively. Right. Uh, Georgia's still retaining quite a few of their players and LSU alike. Um, the big concern with LSU is the quarterback situation. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I'm right. I'm right there with you, man. A lot of things we agree on in this show. Alabama, for sure. I, I can understand. You know, I respect the people that stayed after Nick Saban leaving, but for the guys that left, Saban, as much as I said Saban couldn't pivot and sell, I, I don't believe he could sell in terms of, oh yeah, we'll give you the most money. One, we're already been kind of, you know, backlash for that, and, and there's the assumptions and the rumors. Mm-hmm. But two, I built this program <laughs> based off blue blood work ethic. Oh yeah. If you can't sit and learn and eat tape for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and in your sleep, I don't want you to be part of the Crimson Tide. Oh, absolutely. When you look at Georgia, I think it's just a little early in the season right now. Georgia's recruiting class is very heavy. There, you, you can't tell me that Kirby Smart don't know how to play the transfer portal. Because oh, yes, he does. love him so much. <laughs> and, and he understands coming from that Nick Saban tree, I've got to understand how to pivot. LSU, again, I think it's just a little early in the season, but I I thought that was interesting. I wanted to get your take on that. I thought it was very interesting that three powerhouse SEC teams don't have a lot of transfers actually going on right now. Ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 63 of the NFL with AJL. Maybe you can call it the CFB with AJL as we just did a college football exclusive show with my brother, my cousin, Alan Spradlin had a great time on the show with him tonight. He's been a longtime supporter, longtime watcher, first-time joiner. Um, I've had his brother call on the show. Like I said, his dad, great mentor of mine in sports. He's been on multiple shows. He's called into the show as well. Um, Anything you want to say to the the community, man, before we get out of here? You got the floor. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome being on here for the first time. Sorry. 
No, you're good. You're good. We've had you good for most of the show. It's it's been a pleasure, man. I and I hope to be back on here. I really I really do. Yeah, man, hundred percent. You will be. Uh, it was so awesome having you on, bro. Being being able to bring anyone on the show is great, but you know, having you on for your first time, letting you you know release some of that steam that we've not even steam, but release some of those takes that we've talked about having on a show and all the conversations we have about sports. Me and your entire family, dude. You already know. Absolutely. how I feel about you guys. Before we get out of the show, y'all, please make sure to like and share the stream wherever you're watching. Hit the bell on YouTube so you never miss any of our content. Subscribe as well, as y'all have always done. Y'all are absolutely crushing it. We're about 190 subs away from being able to be monetized on YouTube for my watch hours. I got more than enough watch hours, so everybody that I see on here, I need y'all subscribed in the chat, please, and thank you. You can drop a super thanks or a super chat as well if you want to donate directly to the channel, to the show, to be able to uh, help your boy out, or if you want to hit me up on social media to figure out how to donate as well. You don't have to, but it would always be appreciated. The QR code there in the corner of the screen will give you every bit of social media and podcast content at the NFL with AJL, hashtag the NFL with AJL. If you can't find me, you're simply not looking hard enough. We'll be back on Tuesday with plenty more NFL news. We're going to review the NFL awards that those are happening Sunday. And guys, the Super Bowl is coming up as well. So, you know, we're going to have a Super Bowl special episode coming out. As always, I love y'all. I need y'all. And I will see y'all in episode 64.